Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 307. Today is February 12th, 2020. I'm your host, John Pagliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, hey, we've got a lot to talk about and get right into business here. As I mentioned in the previous podcast, I thought the Wuhan coronavirus scare was simply nothing more than hysteria, that it would be a good buying opportunity. Well, for now, it looks like I was right. The S&P 500 looks like it bottomed out on January 31st. And what I find particularly amazing about what's going on right now is that even though the rhetoric and the news media continue to ratchet up the stories and the coverage around the coronavirus, and we're seeing more and more companies report that there could be some type of a material effect on their bottom line for first quarter when it comes to their business operations in China or their supply chains coming out of China. Well, you look at all this bad news, and yet, where is the S&P 500 putting in, yet again, another all-time record high? That, to me, shows the resiliency of this market. And I'm not saying that short-term, the impact of the coronavirus is over. We could very much see another drop in this market. It could go back, you know, down 4 or 5%, test the previous lows that we saw in January. But what I do believe, and I believe this with all the conviction I have, is, is that this is a temporary issue. I don't know if it's over or not, if it's going to last a couple more weeks, a couple more months. But I think it's highly unlikely that it turns out to be a global pandemic like the 1918 Spanish flu. That's why I bought into the market a couple weeks ago. And frankly, those positions and the entire market are doing even better than I could have possibly imagined two weeks ago. So what's going on? What's driving all this? Why is this market so resilient? Well, there's a number of issues. I think it all comes down to tech stocks in particular, but let's touch on a couple of things. Number one, I'm sure a lot of this is simply short covering. You know, you have people that go out and try and front run the headlines. They saw the coronavirus. They either sold their positions or more likely the professional traders went out and shorted the market. Well, when the market only went down 3% or so and then started to come up, that means that the shorts have to come in and cover their positions, meaning that they have to come in and buy into the market. They're buying into the market in volume at higher prices. That in and of itself is a positive feedback system and causes the market to come up. So some of this could be a short squeeze. The other thing that's going on is that the Central Bank of China is being very, very loose with monetary policy. And to get over this whole coronavirus scare, what they're doing is, is they're coming into the marketplace and injecting hundreds of billions of dollars into the economy. And so whenever you flood a market with money, that causes asset prices to rise. So when you combine the interjection of literally hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars into the Chinese market, along with the shorts covering their positions, well, that's going to give you a temporary bump in the market. But then really the reason I'm staying in this market and the reason that overall I remain optimistic is that corporate earnings are holding up. Now, again, there may be some material issues. You know, maybe Apple isn't going to get all their iPhones made in China for this first quarter. Maybe iPhone sales in China will go down this first quarter. Yeah, there could be some temporary issues. But long term, overall, what's going to be around long after the shorts have covered their positions and long after the initial high of this Chinese monetary injection goes away, what's going to remain is strong corporate profits 
which are being driven primarily by a lot of consumer spending. And, you know, I talk about this infinitum, but it's true. The reason the consumer is spending so much is that interest rates are so low and likewise energy costs are very low. That's a double whammy putting more money in the consumer's wallet. And we all know what the consumer does when they have money. They spend. So it's no magic. It's no mystery. It should be no secret. Consumer spending is driving the market higher because corporate profits are going higher. Something else that I think verifies this, and this was lost on most people because they were too focused on the negativity of the coronavirus, but over the last couple weeks, the United States PMI, that's the Purchasing Managers Index survey came out. And hey, listen, I don't put a whole lot of weight into this thing because it is a survey. It's simply very subjective and opinion-based. But it has gone up after a five straight month of decline. The PMI is now moving up and it's above neutral. It's 50.9. That in itself is expansionary. That's very good news. But more importantly than all that is over these last couple weeks, we've seen the big tech companies come out, announce their fourth quarter earnings, and they're all doing extremely well. And there's a couple reasons this is so important. For one reason, it dispels the myth that this market is overpriced and we're in a, you know, a 2000 dot com bubble. Now, there is a lot of bubbles out there, but the large mainstream tech companies are not in a bubble. It has nothing to do with analogies that can go back to the dot com bubble of 2000 when there were no companies making money, but everybody was buying into their stocks. Yes, there's problems with that, with these IPO unicorns, uh, you know, maybe the Ubers and the Lyfts and the Beyond Meats and the mattress companies. They're coming out with these great stories, but no profits. Yeah, those are bubbles, perhaps, but not mainstream tech companies. Mainstream tech companies are growing both top and bottom line like never before, their valuations are high, but they're certainly in line with alternatives, such as where you see the general market and then specifically where you see interest rates. I think the price to earnings valuations are very reasonable from that standpoint. And the other thing about this strong performance and earnings and revenue growth at tech companies is that this is just a convergence of technology that we've all been anticipating. It goes by many names, whether you call it the Internet of Things or 5G in, in communications, or the fourth industrial revolution, or you know, digitization of the economy. Uh, you know, I wrote a book about automation. These are all those things coming together. This is why we see the deflationary pressures that I've talked about many times. You combine the declining birth rates, the aging of the population, and then the overall convergence of all these technologies, which are truly digitizing elements of the economy, they're disrupting the economy, and overall they're making many products and services either obsolete or at a lower price. Think things like newspapers. You know, in the old days, people had, you would have to go to the classified ads of a newspaper to look for something for sale, or you'd have to go to a printed newspaper or an encyclopedia to look up information, or you'd have to go to a phone book or the yellow pages. Well, gradually over the last 30 years, those things have been phasing out. And now that we get into this major digitalization, this is not only where we have print media being replaced, 
by high-tech applications, but you have things coming in where we have better battery storage so we can have smarter smartphones that last longer and then wearable devices like watches or items that track our health or are used for you know things like uh, diabetes, the Dexcom, other types of implants or wearables. That's going to digitize the healthcare sector, just like computers and software digitized the media business and the printing and publishing business. We see the same factors taking place, you know, with Tesla, with where electric motors, which are incredibly more efficient and have virtually no moving parts when, con- when compared to an internal combustion engine, well, that's going to be the digitization of transportation. And then it's not only that, because automation is also coming in where we have robotics and artificial intelligence that one day is going to allow us in either one form or another of going to autonomous, fully autonomous driverless vehicles, or at least an enhancement that improves the overall driving experience. And that's going to make driving more efficient. It's going to make less accidents. It's going to have a major positive impact on transportation. I'm just pointing out a couple areas here, but this is all being driven by technology and the convergence of all these new technologies coming together. And that's why you're seeing tech companies lead this rally in the marketplace. And when you hear people say, oh, well, this is all going to fall apart because only five companies make up all the profits of the S&P 500, that's always been true. Go back 50, 60 years ago. The S&P 500 then was dominated by a handful of companies, large monopolistic type companies that come in and dominate a market and create economies of scale are always the most profitable. You go back 50, 60 years ago, what dominated the S&P 500 was General Motors. You know, you may have heard the old expression. They used to say, what's good for General Motors is good for America. Well, today, not so much with General Motors. But what's good for Google is good for America. What's good for Apple, what's good for Amazon, that's good for America. The reason I say that is because these companies are growing and making money, and that's what's spurring the U.S. economy. And look around the world. What other countries have behemoth tech giants like we do? Not too many. You got some in China. You got very few in Europe. It's these tech companies that are driving the growth in the United States. Just this past couple weeks, Earnings reports came out for Apple, Amazon, Microsoft. They all blew away their numbers. Even IBM is doing better. We'll get to IBM in a minute. But the bottom line, what's driving all these companies, and even Google, Google reported, now they had better than expected numbers, but they weren't as good as the analysts were expecting. Well, so what? They were still amazing. And again, we're going to get to that in a second. But here's the bottom line. Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, to the extent that IBM's growing and definitely the growth around Google, it's all because of the integration of technology and disruption of old analog type applications into things that can be digitized and pretty much things that can be stored or functions that can be delivered through cloud computing. So it's really all about the cloud. That's why you're seeing Apple stock do so well over the last, you know, six months to year or so. It's not specifically to the iPhone, which was one device that had Wall Street very worried because Apple was, in effect, a one-trick pony. A lot of people on Wall Street were worried that the iPhone might get replaced with technology just like the BlackBerry did, you know, 15 years ago. But Apple is finally proving 
that they're moving into wearables, which is really going to be, a, as I mentioned before, a big revolution with the medical industry. And what Apple is showing is that it's not just about the brand of owning an Apple product, but they're migrating more and more of those services onto their cloud to where consumers are not only buying the Apple products, but they remain in the Apple biosphere. So their music, their data, their contacts, their health records, their sleep patterns, all these things are maintained through Apple. And so it's not just about making money off of a single device that they sell you. It's about that reoccurring either direct payment from the consumer or the potential to advertise to that consumer. That's what's driving Apple stock. And that's why instead of having an old, you know, 11 or 12 times valuation that it used to have, well, now it's being valued like a tech company. It's being valued up at around, you know, 23, 20, maybe 25 times earnings. That's the same thing with Amazon. It's not about Amazon being just a retailer. It's about Amazon's growth in cloud computing where they're number two. They're only behind Microsoft. They're a dominant, dominant player in that field of, of managing cloud data. That's driving Amazon profits and Amazon growth far, far beyond anything Amazon's going to do in the retail sector. Now, Amazon's only number two behind Microsoft. Microsoft is an old stodgy company that keeps reinventing themselves, and they've done really well over the last decade getting into the cloud business and making that part of their overall enterprise solution. And that's why I've continued to have some level of optimism with IBM. I mentioned many times in just a few episodes ago about how a couple years ago I bought IBM. I was hoping, number one, that they would fire their CEO, and then number two, they'd be able to reinvent themselves much like Microsoft has done. Well, over the last couple weeks, it's been announced, yes, IBM did finally fire their CEO. And yes, IBM did get a bounce up in their stock price, and I think it can really go significantly, significantly higher than it is now. In fact, I'm going to try and get a chart up over at my blog site on investablewealth.com. I probably won't get to that tonight, but I'll try and get up here before the week ends. And I'll put up a chart that would show some different target levels for IBM's stock to grow simply because of value expansion. Much like, again, we've seen Apple do over the last year or so. I don't think that IBM's immediate short-term profits and revenue are just going to you know, quadruple overnight. But I do think that based on a change in investor sentiment, the valuations for IBM, which are incredibly low, they're, they're like less than 11 times earnings. I think those valuations can turn around on a dime. And so consequently, there could be some real large run-ups in IBM stock if we get the right investor sentiment. And this is all because if IBM does reinvent themselves, it's going to be because they're going to integrate their old mainframe and device type business into enterprise software and enterprise services that are done in the cloud. And it will be because of a successful integration of the Red Hat acquisition. So I do remain, for the time being, extremely bullish on IBM. And that takes us to Google. And full disclosure here, let me go down this list of these stocks I've been talking about. I own Amazon, I own IBM, and I own Google. So I'll just put that out there for what it's worth. But as far as Google goes, they got some negative press last week because although they had an improvement in earnings, it wasn't as strong as what was being expected by the analysts. And here's why I just call BS on all that. Let's look specifically at 
two of Google's businesses, which are really their big growth engines. And number one, that's the cloud, like I've been talking about with IBM and Microsoft and Amazon and Apple. They're about, I think, number three. So they're behind Microsoft and Amazon, but they are taking a business that didn't exist a couple years ago, and they are becoming a dominant player in that field. And already their cloud, their cloud sector is producing $10 billion in top line revenue. Okay, that's a 50% year-over-year increase from 2018 to 2019. To put that into perspective, a $10 billion business, which, again, has just been created out of thin air over the last couple years, that's the entire size of a company like Adobe or eBay. So think about how long Adobe and eBay have been in business, and in just a couple years, from nothing, Google has created that level of business, $10 billion. And it's growing last year at a rate of 50%. And that's just one component of Google's overall business. I got to step back. I keep saying Google. It's Google. The ticker symbol is G-O-O-G-L. The parent company is actually Alphabet. I know that. I know people will correct me on it. I just call it Google because that's what everybody knows it by. But Alphabet has many businesses, Google being one of them, their cloud services being one of them. The other big growth area is YouTube. The YouTube business is generating over $15 billion in annual revenue. That's a Fortune 200 size company. That's something equivalent to somebody like Nordstrom's or Netflix or Colgate Palmolive or PayPal or Goodyear Tires. And think about that. What do you think has more growth potential? YouTube or a company like Colgate Palmolive, or Nordstrom's, or Goodyear Tires. Well, my money's on YouTube. And what I like about YouTube better than even a company like Netflix is that for the most part, YouTube isn't creating all the content like Netflix is. That means that YouTube doesn't have all the ancillary costs. YouTube, for the most part, is just creating a platform. It's creating that biosystem out there, just like Apple's doing, and then other people, other content creators, put that out onto YouTube and Google makes money off of it. That's genius. And it's growing. Just last year, that YouTube section of the business grew by $4 billion. That's the equivalent of like a Mattel or a Hyatt or Chipotle. That's just how big the growth of YouTube is in one year. And so am I worried that Google missed some type of analyst estimates? No, not at all. My money's on Google. And that's because they have the right technology at the right time, and that's where the growth is. And it's just not in these big tech companies. Look at what's happened with the overall tech sector over the last year. Um, I own a, an ETF called RYT, which is an equal weighting of the, the tech sector. It's done extremely well. I also, uh, sometime last year, I don't remember exactly when it was, but I bought in on one of the dips when, you know, Chicken Littles were out there worried about the world coming to an end. I went out and I bought into XSD. That's the semiconductor index. And if you follow my blog over at investablewealth.com, you know, a couple weeks ago, I bought directly into a couple of semiconductor companies like NVIDIA and Micron. And so I'm a believer in this sector because I'm a believer in overall technology and automation growth. Because what's driving all those things? It's all semiconductors. We can't have technology without discrete components that are being made by the semiconductor industry. 
And so as we look at future automation and we look at future digitization and we look at things like expansion of communications through 5G, that means that we're going to have more growth in the semiconductor sector. Okay, and this is just not my opinion. Take a look at a chart of XSD. That chart shows me the resilience of this stock market, that it is based on technology, and that, yes, we may be getting to another little bit of a peak here for a while because, you know, I think the S&P 500 for fair value going forward into, you know, 2020, 2021 is around 3,400. Well, we're about, you know, not even a percent away from that right now. So we are getting at some lofty numbers in the S&P 500. So I wouldn't rush out here and buy these technology companies today. But long term, this is where the growth is. And that's why... I ignore the bad news from something like a coronavirus or what's going to happen with impeachment or Brexit or the inverted yield curve or all the other nonstop nonsense that you're always hearing. The market is growing. It's expanding. Yes, there's some bumps along the road. At some point, all this deficit spending and all the funny money from quantitative easing and the money and low interest rates at the Federal Reserve and other central banks are putting into the economy. Yes, at some time, I think a lot of that is going to end really ugly. But for now, what I think the technology sector, the semiconductor sector, and even old stodgy base metal industries like copper are telling us I think they're telling us that midterm for right now, things are going to work out just fine. Well, hey, am I right or wrong? I have no idea. This is just my opinion. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict the future. But I've been managing my own money for about 35 years, and I'm doing all right. So come on back for future episodes and see how it all works out. Until then, as always, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best returns.